I've I've often been told that that I I need to add filters. So oh right. Yes. I think we're going to be fine. Yeah. So, we'll be, so introduce yourself. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm TC. Sure. This I'm is Sean. Sean, and our guest today is Curtis. Curtis. Now I know you have questions for us. Do you want to give us a brief description of what what you do or? What, yeah, I mean, I, what so do? so what do do, what what I've been doing for the last year and, and a half, I guess, is account management. So the account that I that I work on, and I work for a company that that does uh, uh, trade shows. So oh. the really really big ones, you know, the the company that I work for has has clients that are you know. Can I say names? As long as you're allowed to, yeah. yeah. I don't even know if I'm allowed to. Have you signed NDAs? Could no, you be I fired no, for this no, stuff? No. Okay, then so, you're golden. So we got we got companies like Mercedes Benz and Porsche and and Freightliner and Ryobi and and Gulfstream Airlines and Coca Cola. So when they go to trade shows to, you know, market their goods, we're the ones who create their face. Um, so you're, you're kind of like sit, do like the, the design and mock-ups of like booths. We we do the designs. We build the designs. Okay. We ship the designs. We okay, I should have said we create them because we've got CAD, we've got CNC, we've got metal, we've got carpentry. I mean, we create their booths. We've got fabric. We've got AV. I mean, we do everything. If when you walk in there and you see this, yeah, like when Sony has their their booth that's two stories tall at E3. We got ten that, fingers yeah. on all of that stuff. Yeah, I've I've seen I've seen some of that shit, and they go, well, this probably costs as much as my old house. <laughs> probably not my new one, and, but, and 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 likely it costs more. I mean, they, they, they do, they, they spend a lot of money to, to market themselves, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Obviously. Um, we do not. So what I do is I deal with the client, their internal people who are in charge of, of making sure that their message is, is portrayed the way they want it to mm. be portrayed. So I deal with all of those departments that I just mentioned. Yeah. Um, to make sure that everything's contained in this pretty little package. It gets delivered when it's supposed to get delivered. It gets built the way it's supposed to get built. It's shined up. All the lights are working. And then we bring it down after after the show. We take it down and then ship it back. And then we store it. And we wait for the next show. So we're going to, you know, all of the major trade show places, Chicago, New York, Boston, Las Vegas, Orlando, San Francisco, and it's a trade show. It's a trade show. It's a trade show. So I, I'm, I don't know why I'm curious, but I, uh, <laughs> I am. If, so since you do, like, the initial design mock-ups and all that, I assume that's the biggest cost to them. But, like, so what's... No, that's not the biggest cost to them. The biggest cost to them is how much it weighs and how much they have to oh, pay sure. the guys to build it. Because oh, you're talking about you're talking about local union labor. Oh, you mean to to put it back to together, put it together, and, oh, yeah. on site, and, and yeah, knock yeah. it back yeah, down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those oh. are their those those are their biggest costs. If you could make one of these things out of out of you know sailboat sails, mm-hmm. it'd be cheap as fuck. But they're making it out of aluminum and wood, and yeah, it's expensive because oh, yeah. it's heavy. So, uh, so I was thinking more of for for you guys, uh, for for your company. Like, there's got to be you know whatever the cost is to 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 design, build initially. But since you do storage and redeployment, like there's got to be like like some continuing cash flow from that, right? Oh yeah, yeah. We, we charge them to, to rent space to store their stuff. Cool. Absolutely. And we have a markup on everything that we spend a dollar on. Yeah. Because we pay for everything up front and then we charge them with a markup and it's completely transparent. They know exactly what their markup is on every item. 
Oh, that's pretty cool. Absolutely. I mean, it, uh, that's again, not that's not like completely transparent. Yeah, that's not very common in big business. And a lot of times, I mean, you could figure it out, but it's not the most common to just like, be hey, just so you know, this is how much I'm making on yeah. the thing that I made you. Well, and, and so here's an example. Um, there's a client in the company that that you know they used to use this company that would say, all right, you know, it's going to cost you. X number of dollars, X number of dollars per year to run all of your trade shows. We're going to just charge you that total number in monthly installments. But there was zero transparency. So if it cost them, you know, fifty percent less to run that program, then they got fifty percent profit. And yeah, you, I could, it's as a company that gives you incentive to cut corners, that gives you incentive to do things. Right. You're no, like, we we're getting this much money. We we are completely transparent. So and that we're way, like, you're hey, just you like, know what? Our markup. If is you this, want this, this, this is what, what it costs you to to have your booth cleaned. This is what it costs you to have, mm. you know, to to for your drayage, which is the weight of everything that goes into the show. This is your cost for AV. This is your cost for carpentry. This is your cost for metal. We tell them exactly what it is, and this is our markup. Do you book the space for them, or do they do that, and then just you set up the size? Completely different. Usually they do. Yeah. I mean, usually they do. Yeah. Okay. And this is only from my experience in the games industry mm-hmm. and going to trade shows. But yeah. and my wife actually has has designed a few booths for for gaming companies. And they were, she fucking, she loved it. She oh, they're, they're like, fun. This like, is so much fun. You've got to so be like showy and flashy. Like, I need. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you can create this this this, this environment, mm-hmm. you know, because you can have roofs. You can have double decks, you know. You can you can have different spaces with different feels and different vibes. <laughs> and she digs designing that shit. Nice. So she has, um, try to think, I, I don't want, so, uh, no, which companies you would do to want to. Specify. I have no idea. But I've, so I've been seeing a lot more VR. Has she got to design any of those spaces where they're demoing VR? VR is huge right now. Yeah. And, I mean, there's, there's a, a couple of sales guys in our company that were like, hey, let's bring in VR. Let's do it. Let's bring in VR. Everything's VR. VR is fucking expensive. Oh, yeah. yeah and it it's really expensive. <laughs> and we're going to charge a markup on it, so it's hard to sell. Uh, well, yeah. It's hard to sell well, the that's... client mm-hmm. because it's like, hey, we'll take care of everything. For you, we're gonna take a mark, and this is what it's gonna cost. And they're like, holy shit! You know, uh, oh well, okay. So what happens if we just have, you know, some some streamers and and fans (laughs) and you know, (laughs) wacky wave? We're gonna put more men. Right. Oh, that's like fifty bucks, bro. Right. Exactly. Give me sixty of those. Still cheaper than VR. I love wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube men. Hey, man. Thank you. They're attention grabbers. <laughs> um, what I find great, we all actually worked together at one point in time. So, and yeah. I mean, we've been good friends for a little while, Curtis. What I find awesome is that that is probably what you currently do. And as interesting as we just made it. It's probably the most boring job that you've had in a right. long no, time. Absolutely right. <laughs> Which you're is really cool right. in a sense. And here's to why to say that that's here's why. Here's why it's because boring. no, no. Oh. Here's why it sucks. <laughs> when you're working in the restaurant business, which I I oh, really man. did enjoy doing. Yeah. Oh, I know. We talk about it all the time. It was. We always say that, you know, this would be a great business if it wasn't for the customers. <laughs> I, I say that about every business. Yeah. Well, but that's the thing, is that it, it, it translates across industries. Oh, yeah. It is the most true in service industry. It really is. Um, and, you know, I had a meeting today with, with my, my account director and my colleague, the other account manager, and we were just really kind of going through the bare bones of what do we do? What makes us who we are? What makes us good at who we are? And I think that it's a good reminder. And that's why in the restaurant business, you know, we always have these little meetings. We always had these little meetings about, you know, it's like, what do you do? What do you do? Study your menus. Because these are the things that you're repeating all the time, right? And one of the things that we talked about was the client and what are the challenges of the client. They never have their fucking shit together, right? They don't know what they want. You go to the table 
and you got, you know, three minutes to say, hey, welcome to where you're at. These are the things that make us cool. These are the things that we have that we want to offer you right now, right? Your specials, your, you know, the, 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 the promos that you got going on. What would you like to do? And they just stand there like you just fucking said, you know, something in, in Spanish, you know, and you're like, ah, this is going to take fucking forever. The client where I'm at right now is very much the same way. I'm dealing with the same things that I was dealing with, you know, it's just like, hey, here's the thing. Here's the routine. Mm-hmm. You know what we're going to ask you. It's not the first time we've done this. It's not the first time you've been to a fucking restaurant, you know? What the fuck would you like? And they don't have the answer. And in in in, in my world now, we're talking about, you know, $500,000 for a show. They're spending half a million dollars to go to Boston. They're spending $750,000 to go to Las Vegas. They're, spe- you know, they're spending $5, 6000000 million a year. So I understand why they're somewhat hesitant to pull triggers. But it's the same thing in the restaurant. Okay, so it's a $35 entree. It's a $120 bottle of wine. I'm here to tell you that if you put these two things together... You're going to have a good fucking time. You're going <laughs> to enjoy it. It's worth the money. And I'm saying the same thing to these people, and they know. They've got people behind them saying, don't spend that much money. Mm. Spend as little money as possible. Maybe it's the husband. Maybe it's the wife. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe we can get a $30 bottle of wine instead of a $50 bottle of wine. There's similarities, and I'm living them. I'd rather... Like you said, that line goes across all industry. Uh, And especially, when we say service industry, we're almost always talking about food and beverage and or retail. But really, service industry is a spectrum. Anything that provides a service you're going to run into that same yeah, thing. I because mean, people want as much as they can get for as little a price as they can get. I used to be a, a table manager. I used to be a bar manager. And now I'm an account manager. Yeah, It's the same thing. It yeah. really is. And I make less money doing what I'm doing <laughs> now than when I was dealing with fucking people in a restaurant. Me too. But you get a... You get sound sleep at night and you get to see the normal people in the world. I don't know, man. <laughs> By the way, I'm shaking my head. My No, well, you, no man. You, live, you hermit in your basement with your 16 jobs. Home, I used to come home and my wife was asleep. Yeah, well, yeah. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. one thing I don't miss. <laughs> yeah. it is, uh, it's, it's all about outlawed. It's, it's like, uh, I remember coming home like in my 20s because uh, I worked in bars where smoking was still, still legal and I don't yeah. smoke. So, like, I'd lay down on my pillow and I'd wake up and there'd be, like, this yellow ring outline of where my head was. Yeah. And, like, because I would pass out. I'd, you know, I'd close my bar. I'd get home at 3.45, 4 a.m., wake up at noon and look at my pillow and go, oh, what did you do? That's, Gotta wash every yeah. article of clothing yeah. that you wore that week, that week. <laughs> you I have bastard. shirts now that, you know, I don't have to, to wash, <laughs> but every, you know, two weeks. Because I wore them once, and there's no bar on them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there is this, the smell of, of service. <laughs> there it is. I, I want to go somewhere with a little less moving parts. Yeah. Well, I'm here's, toying here's, with here's what I'm I'll toying say. with messing messing everything up and trying to open my own spot. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> Look at that face. Uh, I want to do something I, I simple. Would never recommend. I, I want to do I, no. I want to do something simple like a sandwich shop. This isn't what everyone says. No, I mean, but like a sandwich shop. <laughs> this or, is way more difficult than that was going to be. Oh, I, I, but I, 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 mean, I know I, all the operations. Yeah. That's so I, I, I see that too, and uh. Uh, so, I think we've all, you've all heard my sh- backstory at least t- to some degree. But I used to work in the Caribbean, and that was 
like one of the happiest times of my life. I think partly because I was in my mid twenties and I was running a bar out there. I'm like, well, this is just the shit. I'm gonna walk out naked on my patio and just stare at the ocean because I can. And now I'm, well, I'm white, so now I'm sunburned. But uh, <laughs> I so I, I talk about it with There's my brother. There's too many trees covering your patio to walk <laughs> out into the sunshine. <laughs> oh no, no, it was very, very bright. Uh, anyway, uh, where I was actually going with that is like, like so I, I I talk about also opening my own place. Like, and so my brother is also super keen on starting businesses and running businesses and he's all, I took him out to the Caribbean a few years ago and he was like, oh my god, this is beautiful. I had no idea. Like, yeah, dude. Like, this is why people retire out there and, and have secret bank accounts in the Cayman Islands. Like, this is just, this is this is what you would do at a certain level. Either you make a ton of money and you buy an island or you have no money and you work in the service industry on an island. And either way, you're having a great time. And I think, you know, having, yeah, let's, you know what, let's open like a like a 12-seat sunset bar. And I'm saying this jokingly, and he's like, he's like I'm, yeah, let's let's do it. I would love to do that. I'm like, yeah, honestly, if the opportunity presented, me, presented it for real, I would love to go back out there and be a bar manager. Opening a business that would, that would internationally. Is also dumb. Yeah, yeah you, <laughs> I mean, if you idea. don't have, yeah. And it's hard to get be able to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. You either have to have somebody local, or uh, you have to have a cit- like a citizen actually open it. You uh, depends on the island. Right, right. Or so the you, one I lived on, I worked for Dutch owners, and they they just came out. Well, there I was gonna, and did uh, it. yeah, and but especially nowadays in the, like Central America and the Caribbean, like you have to have citizenship and or. Or what are you doing? Lube of a lot of palms. Lube is not the word that I was. Like. Grease. Grease. But I no. like lube. <laughs> but you're right. Get cut right, right there. But you're right. You do have. You got to grease some you, palms, jump through a whole lot of tape. You take care of the locals. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and we actually, honestly, we got robbed. Uh, like uh, we're robbed, and just because literally, we, yeah, literally, someone broke in and yeah. stole uh, stole our cash register. Here's a story. Because we weren't taking care of the locals. Yeah. Here's yeah. a story. You know, I've traveled. A lot. And we were in uh, Portugal. We went to this restaurant. It was a little bit before anybody opened. And we didn't necessarily know that. Because like time we of day? Had, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, we, we, because we had, when you're traveling across Europe on a train, you arrive in a city at whatever time that train mm-hmm. pulls into the <laughs> station. And, you know, we, we put our backpacks into the lockers, and we went out and explored. Well, it was time for breakfast, and, you know, so we're, we're walking down, uh, you know, the, 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 there's a word, and I can't. Street, it. Avenue, oh, Block. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're an asshole. There's, there's a you. Spanish word that I'm thinking about, and I can't, I can't remember. Well, anyway, the point is, we're walking down to Malacón. And the ocean is is coming in. We're like, ah, oh, this looks like a beautiful place to have breakfast. We walk in and they're like, hey, you know, we're not quite open yet. Maybe maybe twenty minutes. And we're like, all right, what? we like this place. Walk in the next place. Ah, oh, you know, we're not quite open yet. This was a much bigger, much more elaborate place. Obviously, they had money back in it. First place was more of a mom and pop spot. And 20 minutes later, we go back to the mom and pop spot. Five minutes after we sit down, they have a major power outage. Like, uh, uh, we don't know exactly what happened. You know, we'll be happy to take care of you. You know, would you like some cheese? Maybe some wine? We're in Europe. Yeah. You know, cheese and wine yeah. for breakfast. Why not? We're like, yeah, absolutely. Cheese, wine, piece of bread. Right? I'm fucking happy. I, I walked away from the situation thinking the money spot mm-hmm. sabotaged the mom and pop spot because we didn't choose them. Really? I don't know if that's true. I have zero proof of it. But that's what I, that's what I thought. 
had happened. I think that the, the restaurant industry has caused me or has, has influenced me in such a way that I always think about the customer, the client. <laughs> the guest. The guest. I've actually because said that still. Still call people my guest. And and that's a good thing. I mean, you know, there's there's the old adage that, you know, if if everyone on the planet worked in the restaurant or the service industry for six months, the, the world would be a better place. Probably. Be, and it would. Yeah. There's no question about it. Because you, when your fucking income depends upon people's experience it it scars that into you mm. you know it's like i want to go back home i want to go to colorado i want to go to chicago i want to take a trip the only way i can do that is if i have enough money to do it and the only way i'm going to have enough money to do it is if people enjoy the time they spent with me because they're fucking paying me all right, the state of Georgia is not fucking paying me. All right, they're paying me two two dollars and eighteen cents an hour. All right, that doesn't even cover fucking taxes. So, um, my personality is 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 providing my lifestyle, and and I'm sure that in in almost every state around the country, except maybe California, that's the fucking case. When when some of these companies, you know, like there's been a lot of talk about, you know, tip share, tip pool, you know, the restaurants in, in charge of that. I might not make a lot of friends with what I'm about to say, Go for it. but Bacchanalia, hmm. that was the first restaurant that I worked for here in Georgia at $2.18 an hour. And it was a tip share situation, which I had never worked in before. There were times when, you know, I was working a section in a restaurant and I would, I totally trusted the other person that was working in the section next to me. And it was fairly, you know, uh, secluded. Mm -hmm. I'd say, Hey, you know what? Let's treat this like a big party and we'll share tips. If I make a little more than you, fine. You make a little bit more than me. I'm cool with it, obviously. But every person that comes into this section is going to be totally taken care of because we're we're a team right now. At Bacchanalia, it was tip share. And there was, you know, anywhere from, from 12 to 15 people pulling from the pot that night. But there was zero transparency. There was nothing on a night-to-night basis, weekly basis, and we got paid bi-weekly. I'd see my fucking paycheck come in after taxes, and I'm like, holy, what the fuck, man? I know I can do better this, better than this by myself. If it goes to, if the industry goes to, you know what? What the, what the conversation has been about? You know, it's like, all right, it's not a tip thing anymore. It's mm. like we're going to charge a service charge. You're going to lose waiters and waitresses, and I use that instead of servers on purpose because I'm not a server. I'm a waiter. I wait for you to make a fucking decision. <laughs> I give you the information that you need to make a decision, and then I and then I wait, and I take that information, and I and I and I give it to the rest of the team, you know. And that's the thing about the restaurant business is it's a team. Waiters, waitresses, bartenders, the kitchen staff, the behind the scenes staff, which are just as, if not more important... Support staff's the most important. ...than everybody else in the business. We got polishing glasses and silverware. It's like... They... So... They are the wheel. Yeah. We're the cogs. 
in the wheel. Just little bits of teeth on the end. We really are. <laughs> but we're the people that can talk to the people. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're the personality. You're we the are. face. You're the, you're the marketer. You're the... We're we're the we're, voice. we're the face. Yeah, we, just, yeah. we just poked at fucking the only thing we're all good at. What's that? Just that. Yeah. <laughs> you're, Talking. You're a bunch of personalities. That's pretty much it. Well, and that's I have thing. no real skills. And that's the thing. And you but, know what? You know what kills me is that it's so hard for people in the restaurant industry to get jobs outside of the restaurant industry when we possess. The types of fucking skills, thinking on your feet, quick reaction times, problem solving, the, the, the types of skills that most people don't fucking have, all right? A lot of times people, like, specialize in, in, a, in a certain thing, mm-hmm. and then they go in, and if, if they're not dealing with that thing... They're fucking useless. I see that in a on a daily basis. Well, you're touching it's, on it's, it's difficult. You're touching on something that like I talk about a lot, and I really enjoy talking about because I wanted to bring it more to light to everybody else. Which I feel like a lot of people who have had the experiences we have in the industry, who worked as long as we did in restaurant industries, have all dealt with the whole. I mean, it's. Very, very common. The whole, well, what's your real job? Or what are you yeah. going to school for? Right. Um, but also be going even beyond that is dealing with, like, family and people, like, who are like, so when are you going to get a real job? Or are you still working at that restaurant? You know, or you, that kind of thing. And it's, so people who have been doing it as long as we have, you're 100% correct. Like, professional Industry workers have personality, have the the ability to adapt, have people skills that are absolutely necessary in any kind of service, and they have them better than most. You said that it's hard to get a job outside of the industry a lot of times. I think a lot of it has to do with, like, there's still a... Uh, Stigma? Stigma to the industry that it is a through job. It is a college kid's job that nobody cares. And a lot of people who are in the industry are still those people. My, I'm being in management now. That's when I started. Yeah, being in management now is. Yeah. Well, yeah, I started in high school. Like, I, I, yeah. and I did too. But yeah. and I but it's too. that age, and you don't think that's what you're going to do. But it grabs you. You know, I I honestly have never met anybody who went into the restaurant industry before the age of, like, 25, thinking that they were going to do it for any amount of time. Right. You know? Which is why it's such a nomadic industry. I've met a few, like, post-25 people who went in, like Juan... Yeah, uh, I believe he was actually twenty five, but kind of the same along along the same lines as him. They went they went to go work with chefs or sommeliers um, or people like that because they decided they wanted to go into that field. But the, being a younger person, and but it, did they get a job yeah. working in a restaurant with a chef and a sommelier? With zero experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think so. So that's what I was about to say. Was, that was, was my say. next thing. As a manager, one of the things that's really opened me up, and it's one of the things when we were all together at Canoe, it's one of the things they swore by. It wasn't often. It's not common. It wasn't often. But people in the industry see what you just talked about in a person. And you can teach somebody a menu, and you can teach them steps of service, and you can teach them about wine, but you can't teach confidence and personality and a sense of urgency and being able to adapt to a situation or problem solving and that nature. And I know for a fact at uh, Canoe, there was always one person they talked about, Lane, who zero restaurant experience. She came and worked at Canoe. 
which is one of the hardest training programs I've ever been through. And it was just kind of a meat grinder anyway to get into that place. And she had zero restaurant experience. And she ended up being a fantastic server. She's not in the industry anymore, unfortunately. She's doing other bigger, better things. But still. I would say, hey, I want to clean your boat. And people would ask me, do you have any experience cleaning boats? And I said, nope. But I don't have any bad habits. So you show me how you want me to do it, and that's how I'll do it. And that's kind of what you're talking about with this chick. She had zero experience. She learned the the process at, at Canoe, and she did it. And she did it perfectly because she didn't have any bad habits. She didn't have anything get in the way. She didn't have any other processes that said, oh, no. Well, you know, you're yeah, like I'm used like to doing this. it this way or I'm supposed to. And, There's something and, to say for that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I got my job right now by telling that fucking story. <laughs> Do I know how to be an account manager? No. But I have this skill and this skill and this skill. <laughs> And they're they relate, but I don't have any bad habits as an account manager. So you show me how you want me to do it, and that's how I'll do it. Because that's they the only way you'll know job. how. Yeah, yeah. It's it that it goes to the point where it's like you you've got people going to your restaurant, and you know they have a ton of restaurant experience, and they've worked for this chef, and they know this sommelier. And they've got this whole wealth of knowledge processes that they think are the right way to do it. But that's not the way you guys do it. And in order to fit into your culture, in order to fit into your restaurant, they've got to do it your way. And if they don't, they're gone. And that's why I think that it's such a nomadic fucking industry because people are like, well, fuck, I don't do it this way. It doesn't matter how you fucking do it. We do it this way. What's the right way? So now that you're in management, what what is your opinion of accountability? Uh, I it's I preach it constantly. Like I feel like accountability is the biggest. I get like I've gotten into arguments with my own employees because of the phrase that I hate worse than anything and i really think it's in any company and anywhere the one the one thing that you should never say is that's not my job (laughs) now i understand that somebody can argue that there is situations where like maybe you're being asked to do far more than what you're being paid to do or something like that but at that point in time you're working for a bad company anyway so just leave the company kind of thing. Now, not everybody has that freedom, but still when you work like for me and you say, that's not my job. Like what is your job? Well, my job is to serve tables. No, that is not your job. Your job is to create a guest experience. Your job is to bring guests back here for another visit because of the time they had before. Your job is to make memories for people. That entails sweeping that shit off all the floor over there. <laughs> that also entails holding your coworkers accountable. That's where uh, it's happened to me a couple times, where people are like, so-and-so's doing this, and so-and-so's not doing this. My first question every time is, would you say anything to him? No, that's not my job. What do you mean? That's not your job. That's not your job to tattletale either. Yeah, yeah, like you're, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you, you, if you, we are adults, we are professionals. If you can't look at your supposed coworker, if you can't look at your coworker and say, "Hey, aren't you supposed to be doing this?" or "I saw you do this, and we're supposed to do it this way," and have a conversation about it, then we're not professionals. We're not adults. Like that should be able to be done in any sense. And then if it becomes an issue, if somebody's unprofessional about it, you don't go cuss out your coworker because they didn't do something. And you don't have to take negativity or insults from somebody if you call them out on something. Then get me involved because I will tell them this instead of you this. But I think accountability is everything. (coughs) I think if you don't 
I I like being held. I told my own employee. My own employee called me out the other day for doing something that I constantly get on to them about. And I, in almost hilarious fashion, called them out at lineup about the situation. And they were like, well, I was just trying to... And they thought they were getting in trouble. And then I stopped and I said, no. It was great. It was perfect. It's what I expect. Right. So my first vivid memory is living in a tent next to a lake. My parents were a couple of hippies. My dad was 17. My mom was 21. Nice. My mom thought that my dad was 21. My dad's a salesman. <laughs> I remember walking along the, 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 the little creek, which was near our, our campsite. When I say I remember living in a tent, it's because we lived in a fucking tent. Right? That was our home. And I remember walking along this little creek looking for fish. And still to this day, if I pass a body of water, I look for a fishing spot. I don't know if you guys are fishermen. Yeah. I fucking look for fish. (laughs) And I remember walking and seeing up on this little hill this man and this woman having sex. I know now what they were doing. They were totally having sex. As a fucking three-year-old kid, four-year-old kid, walking completely unaccompanied next to this fucking stream, because we were hippies, these two people. That's my first memory. That's That's the earliest that I can go back. And everything since then has been really this sort of my dad calls himself a renaissance man. What that means is he's, he refuses to fucking accept modernity, you know, technology. He is stuck in the 70s, early 80s. That's, that's who he is. My mom took off. When I was 13, my dad was a traveling salesman. He was gone. And I spent most of my, what do you call your early teens? Adolescence. Is it adolescence? That's adolescence. You know, your 10s, 11s, 12s. We wouldn't have called you a tween back then. To 16s, 17, well, to 15. Pretty much by myself, you know, I, I, I kind of, I, he always made sure that there was food, mm-hmm. but he was really never there. And so I, I became who I am sort of by myself. And that, you know, that created a lot of, a, a sense of freedom mm-hmm. and a sense of adventurousness, but it also sent created some insecurities, you know. I, I've always wanted to make sure that people know me and like me and accept me. And and when they don't, I take it personally, you know. I'm not a psychologist. I'm a philosopher. Well, are you going to go to Russia? Because, you know, there's a lot of people in my world that know that the World Cup is sort of my thing. And they were like, are you, 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 I wouldn't go to Russia if I were you. You walk into the street, and there's a TC. We talked about this earlier. There's a TC. There's a Curtis. There's a Sean. Mm-hmm. And they're just sitting there doing their thing, living their life in their world, and they are no different than you and I. And when the World, Cup's on, World Cup comes on, they're like, oh, yeah, we got something to circle around. We're going to have some fun. And they do. And when you travel there, they're like, oh, holy shit, you're Curtis from the United States. <laughs> Let's get to know one another. And it doesn't matter what country you're in. Korea, I am on the mantle of probably fucking 
hundred different people, probably more, that that wanted to get a photo of me because I had, you know, my makeup on and, and we were in front of the stadium and they were like, hey, you know, he was all painted American. up. Painted up in USA colors. Absolutely. At the Korea. And, oh, oh, okay. And, and, I'm, I'm like, wait, I, I, were you, did you do like drag or something? No, no, okay. no. And Sorry. people would come up, you know, p- group after group after group after group. I mean, it took us hours to get away from the studio. playing soccer? No, no, no. It's just because you're like a super fan when you go out. I don't like that word. Uh, just like yes. I don't like the word server. I don't like Because you fan. are an enthusiast. I, I, I am... I want to go and experience an event, and yes, I totally put the fucking makeup on. I didn't know that. So, like, because you said makeup on, and from being a theater kid, saying I I have pictures of me with makeup on on people's mantles, I'm like, that is a totally different, whatever you want to call that, that sense of of, uh, dedication to something you like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's because I, I, I still want to consider myself a complete and total individual. That's weird. And sorry, no, that that and I shouldn't have said it that way. No, no, that, no, no. That, no, that, no that it's not really good. That is that is it's interesting. Somewhat counterintuitive to what you were just saying. Yeah, because yeah. because of the, uh, because of this because you want to build a sense of community and belonging, which I think necessitates giving up some sense of anonymity. Sure. An individuality. Right. Well, or, uh, sorry. Thank you. That's the word that I. <laughs> when when when, when knowledge. Okay, so I'll I'll tell you the story about my face paint. Mm. In in France, 1998, I was like 24 years old, and you know my buddy Brett and I we've been friends since since I was 10. We were watching the World Cup. It was the USA versus Brazil, second round in Los Angeles here in the United States and we're watching from his couch in Vail and we looked at each other and we're like dude you know this is our sport it's the biggest event on the planet and it's in our country and we're watching from Colorado 1998 we're gonna be there we're gonna go I promise we made a promise to each other. We made a promise to ourselves that we would save enough money to go to France. So when we got to France... Didn't the, you... Sorry. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't you save... You and your buddy, you saved like five bucks a week for the next four years? For every week for four years. $5,000. Yeah. 25 bucks a week for every week for four years until the next World Cup. That's so cool. <laughs> $5,000. And it, it more than paid yeah. for our travel, our... Food, our drink, we probably drank more than we ate. <laughs> it it covered our insurance while we were away, it covered our rent while we were away, because we were both fucking on living yeah. on our own. I mean we were adults at twenty four, not living at our at our folks' place. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was one of those things where we were just like, all right, so we're gonna do this. And when we got to France, there were very, very few U- USA soccer fans. And we were like, hey, you know what? We are fucking trailblazing right now. Let's do this. And so I painted this this star on my face. And we were at the USA versus Germany game, and we lost that game. We were outside the stadium, <clears throat> and there was a group of maybe six, seven of us. And there was a German news crew out there, and they're like, "Holy shit, there are American fans!" <laughs> and they were like, "Hey, you know, can can you can you do a, a an American chant for us?" We didn't have any fucking American chant American chants, so I I was like, "All right, you know, we'll do a lay a lay a lay," and then we'll finish it with USA USA. USA. I don't know if that's the first time this ever been done, but that's the first time we did it, and we did it overseas. So I'm not making any claims that we were the fucking originators of that shit, but we did it. Ole, 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 USA, USA. Yeah. And the German news crew was like, 
Right on. But I'm gonna tell a little little story about you know when I was a kid, and you know I was in the car with my old man. And There's some people fucking on the hill. No, oh. no, no. Damn it. I I think it was the first time I'd seen you know a bum. Okay. Oh, this man. And he had a dog with him. And you know I'm trying to process what it means to be a bum. Why is why is this guy? Looking ratty and on the side of the street, and hey, you know, he's got a shopping cart. What the fuck, you know, does he not have a home? And you know, my dad explained, you know, for whatever reason, that you know, this this guy's decided that you know, he'd rather live, you know, free and on the street. Why does he have a dog? You know, we had a dog, it was our pet, you know, we let it out. Went in the backyard. It did its business. Came back in a house. You know, we throw it a ball. It would fetch. It's a pet. Mm-hmm. This guy's got a dog. I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, like, bring those two ideas together. And he, you know, I was like, so, so why does he have a dog? And he's like, well, the dog is for protection because he needs to be protected. He's got to sleep sometimes. And if he gets too hungry, he eats it. And I was like, what? Why the fuck would he eat his dog? And that was the first time that I started to, you know, like put those two different worlds together. Mm-hmm. You eat. You have to eat. Why the fuck would he eat his dog? Because he's hungry. There's nothing else to eat. Some people have chickens. Some people keep goats. Some people actually have fucking cows. And they get their milk from them. Eventually, they eat every one of those things. And that's a much more personal relationship with those animals because yeah. you you raise them. They're, you know, they're com- your companions. I don't know if every bum eats their dogs, you know. But it was the way my dad put it to me. He was like, hey, if he gets hungry enough, he's going to fucking eat him. And, and, you know, it was a very black and white statement. It's like, mm. this is the reality of the world. You can have a bunch of fucking chickens and take their eggs and it's all sweet and lovely. And, you know, you can create the most amazing fucking landscape for these chickens to live until it's time to fucking eat them and you have to be able to process them. Could you be dropped into the African Sahara and create the tools that you need no. to protect yourself? No, that took We've thousands that of years. Then. We've lost that. I mean, thing, I could I could make a spear. We are in 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 the natural sense not the top of the food chain. Uh, see, but see, but we, but in the natural sense of today, like, I mean, it is unnatural to be naked in the middle of the Sahara with no tools for a human. That is unnatural. Now. Right. So now we are on top of the food chain. Now we have, the be on top of the food chain, all you have to have is no known predators. You know what? Our only known predator is... Ourselves. Disease, ourselves. Like viruses. Yeah, bacteria, viruses, and ourselves. Other than that, like, we would, our I would life expectancy, all natural. our life expectancy, it continues to grow. Um, the only other, like, the only things that live longer than us are giant sea creatures that you never see. Tortoises. And for some reason, tortoises. <laughs> but they they have a they have an armored car on their back. So if there's ever any danger, they just and they got a really slow metabolism. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I don't think it's we are on top of the food chain, and I think that domestication and farming is the reason why we are on top of the food chain. Like mm-hmm. it is, and hmm, and tools and tools. Well, yes. Which tools led to that, but I mean, and again, I would argue well, that yeah, so we <laughs> have the uh, we have the capability of making tools, which 
has has it moved us up. But if I was left in the fucking jungle, you really like naked. Just being naked left places. Well, that's natural. I woke up naked. That's somewhere. natural. Maybe it's because my wife made me watch Naked and Afraid all night last night. I, I don't. I feel like that is exactly. But the point is, it's like if you don't know how to make those fucking tools, if you haven't been trained to make those tools, you're fucked. Yeah, you, you don't think like, you can make a spear? What, but so yeah, so, but do you know how to use it? Yeah, you go. You stick them with the pointy end. <laughs> All right, you know it is time for mix, match, malore. Do you have a like a sound bite for mix, match, and malore? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we do now. I think that's it. <laughs> it is time. All right, so. Uh, for those haven't seen this or heard this before, I hope I get the malort. Malort, malort, malort. For those who haven't seen this before, Queen, find the Queen, find the Queen. Where's the Queen? That might be the first. We are three card montying, three shot glasses with brown liquor. I can, I can, all I can smell is whiskey. And actually, two are really nice single malt, single malt Irish, single malt Irish Glendalock. No, and then one of them is the infa- infamous Malort. If you don't know about Malort, we talked about it a little bit in depth on our last podcast. But it's basically a wormwood liqueur that has a cult following for being disgusting. disgusting. Our current guest, a current guest, actually spent a good amount of time in Chicago and thoroughly where I don't it's, know why I'm still trying to mix these and, and thoroughly enjoys it. So I really do hope he gets it. But he's also slightly insane if you haven't figured that out from this and podcast. I do like, I do like this um, one, so. so the I, game goes as such lose. with these three glasses. Our I'm guest will pick the first one. Moving so you can't tell. <laughs> I'll pick the second, and Sean gets what's left over since he actually poured them and he's holding them. Yeah, I'm gonna take a quick peek. Nope. Quick no, peek. just grab one. Just right. grab yeah, one. Take the quick I'm gonna peek. take the furthest one away from me. The last shall go I'll, first. I'll take the palm. The palm? Yeah. I hate you guys. Yeah, and Sean <laughs> loses again. <laughs> oh, we're two for two. Son of a bitch. I, I love it, Sean. And Sean, I really do appreciate you putting your beautiful like really, Irish really whiskey. Fucking good whiskey, yeah. No, up I do against it constantly. I, I, and you haven't even gotten to taste it yet. There's a little no, you just have to keep it. drinking Malort instead of your Irish whiskey. There's a nice little bit of caramel in there. It is really good. Bro, it's really good. It's very yeah, caramel. I can smell. You get floral notes on the back. You were saying orange blossom last night. Yeah, yeah. And I kind of, I kind of get it now. But definitely a, a, a nice florality to it. It's absolutely amazing. I'm gonna savor this while you deal with that 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 that, that, that astringency that, that'll never go away. I'll give you your aroma in my glass if you give me the malort. malort. I drank it. I mean, oh, there's a little dropping. No, that's that's why I was saying Satan's taint because it's that's what my tongue feels like. Very very good. That's the kind of player I am. I am um, I'm, I'm really excited that uh, I was able to make it over tonight. I we really yeah, are excited. You told me about it a couple of yeah. days ago. I didn't know if I was going to be able to. So, no, it's been great. It's been, uh, I'm Sean, glad we made it through Hell Week. We'll, yeah. We'll no, do it I'm again, I'm sure. To, uh, yeah, honestly, I mean. The, the, Whenever our schedules work, we just got to go for it. I said, I said this off mic, but I, I really just, it's nice to chill and hang out and drink and yeah. talk. 